You're listening to the Exeter Vineyard Church podcast. New episodes each week. To watch the full video version of this podcast, head over to our website, www.exe.vin forward slash podcasts. Okay, we are doing a series on discipleship, a very church-sounding word. Um, and uh, this this little uh, video is like shows a sapling growing. And in the Bible, the discipleship is often used uh, as an um, agricultural metaphor. This idea of something growing and being looked after and fed and then producing fruit. And so we've been talking about the fruit in our life is... Uh, this journey that God wants to take us on. And you can have an apple tree that might grow up because someone threw an apple into the side of the road and you get an apple tree and that will produce fruit. But it's nothing compared to an orchard where someone takes time and effort and intention to create an environment for fruit to grow. And so we're thinking like, how do we as individuals and how do we as a church uh, do that? We've defined discipleship as this kind of cycle, our relationship with God, discovering that he loves us, we don't have to earn it, we're not trying to persuade him, we're not trying to deserve it, he just loves us because he does. And then that truth saturates our whole life. So we don't have this religious part of our life and then the rest of our life, but we discover that God and his love is uh, involved and interested in the most mundane, normal parts of our life. So our life at work, in our family, with our friends, in our interests. And then we start to understand that what God does in us overflows and changes the world around us, that he has not just given us this for us, for our club, but actually we have a role, a purpose to play in the world around us. So this is what we want to do. How do we encourage this pro- this kind of cycle to keep going on? Us increasingly discover how much God loves us, increasingly realizing he's involved in areas of our life we hadn't considered before, increasingly overflowing and making a difference in the world around us, and then carrying on that cycle. So We've doing these. We're spending seven weeks. We spent uh, the first week. We just looked at the environments we've created in Exeter Vineyard that helped this happen. This, the Sunday service um, hubs, which are groups that meet around a meal and uh, much more discussive instead of what we're doing now, listening. Discipleship groups, which are like smaller groups that are uh, peers, just talking about what what do I think God's saying to me, and then our everyday life where we work this out. These four environments and then uh, we started talking about skills and I've called them skills because it's not a piece of information that we need to be a disciple it is a truth that starts to affect the way that we live a little bit like the example I always use is um, learning to drive when you first learn to drive changing the gear is something you really have to concentrate on you know like it's a process what do I do in what order And then after a while, you don't even think about it. You know, it's just so natural. We want this kind of like the reality of God to become so natural to us. So over the summer, I sat down and I thought, what what do we need to, what skills do we need to be a disciple? Or rather, what things if we don't have will will make it harder for us? And I came up with five things. And we're going to look at the first one today, that the only requirement is yes. The only requirement to be a disciple is yes. And I think it's important that we think about this because often we have this sense that uh, 
disciple is like kind of like the like the special forces of Christians, you know, like these things. We have a, an idea of what a good Christian is. and We often have a, some sort of hierarchy in our minds. So we've got the people in the Bible, top of the list, like the disciples. And then under that, we have people who talk at conferences and churches and know that, you know, know all the Bible verses and can, you know, talk knowledgeably about stuff. Then we, then there's other Christians who have their lives together. And then there's us at the bottom. You know, there's quite often... And then sometimes you have these kind of moments where you're like, oh, they think I'm higher up and I'm, but I'm actually here and all these sorts of things. I mean, it's just not a, it's not a way to think at all. And actually, we lose this idea in the Bible because the disciples are famous, you know, and they're the ones hanging around with Jesus. But the Bible actually kind of tries to go out of its way to show us that these were normal, ordinary people. They weren't like superheroes. They had normal jobs. And actually in their day, the religious professionals talked about the disciples as sinners because they hadn't memorized the whole of the, the, the Jewish Bible. They, they weren't running, you know, they weren't as devout or as ritualized as the religious professionals. So they called them sinners. And yet these are the people that Jesus is inviting in. So what makes them disciples? Let me just read this passage together. It says this, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting their net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. The only requirement for them to become disciples was to say yes to Jesus. Come follow me. And they said yes. This is the call, the call to follow me that Jesus gives to every person to be a disciple. We just have to say yes. So I think this is another fantastic example of something that we know we can give intellectual assent to. Yes, that's true. I agree with that. But it's much harder to live out as reality for us. And the issue, I think, in this is control. It's much easier... And I don't know whether you'll find the same as me. It's much easier to think about Jesus as being with me than me following Jesus. It's much easier to think about Jesus being with me where I am than this idea that I have to follow Jesus where he's going. So I've discovered that in the morning, I often think about my day ahead and I pray, oh, God, I pray you'll be with me today. <laughs> um, it feels much more natural to pray that because that's what I want than saying, Jesus, let me follow closely to you today. I want Jesus to be with me. But Jesus is saying, come follow me. I mean, these are both true. I'm not saying that Jesus isn't with us. That's his heart. He, he loves us. But actually, I thought um, Graham, the thing that Graham had was wonderful because you said, you know, Jesus puts his hand out and says, you know, I'm with you. Come follow me. Let, let me walk with you. It's those things, this idea that actually Jesus wants to lead us somewhere. We have got very much this idea sometimes, I think, that we want Jesus to kind of be our, like, comfort blanket with us where we are now. And so it's this idea of control, who's in charge. But discipleship requires us to allow Jesus to be in control. I mean, this is the way he says, I've come so you can have life in abundance. We're not talking about discipleship as a way of being a good Christian. We're talking about discipleship as the method by which God wants to turn us, broken people with all kind of mess and stuff, into the person he created us to be. The, the, the method to become 
truly human, we look right back to the creation story of that we're not just physical matter. There's something spiritual that goes on as God breathes into creation. And we want to like reconnect with that. And that's what the process God wants to do. So it means allowing him to be in control. It is the most rational thing if we think about it. If anyone's going to be in control of the life that, of our lives, the creator of the universe who knows everything and is all powerful and is everywhere is a much better person to be in control than us with our limited knowledge, limited power and immense number of delusions that we discover as we get older. Um, so it makes absolute sense, but there's an emotional thing that I think is harder because it revolves around trust. And it gets harder. So Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. These words, denial, denying what I want, what's, what's best for me, and embracing sometimes sacrifice is not comfortable. So this is one of those things where I know if we did, you know, like what, who's in charge of our life? We'd all say, oh, Jesus, you know, that because that's the right answer. But in actual fact, if we really think about it, I think the absolute natural response is nervousness. It is quite scary to say, well, okay, I'm truly going to start to live, to lean into the fact that Jesus is going to be in charge. So I've got two things I think that will help us find comfort as that. And it's a skill because we're learning to do this more and more. It's not a binary. It's not like suddenly, oh, this has happened. It's we're learning. You know, we learn to let Jesus be control in this area of our life. And then we discover oh, actually, but this area I'm still holding on to. And then we do that, we, and it's a lifetime's work. So two things that comfort. First one, comfort from the fact that Jesus is good and he loves us. One thing about letting Jesus be in control is it allows us to step off of the second-guessing, uh, should-of performance tightrope. For so long, this is how I saw my life as a Christian, that, that God had put a tightrope and I've got to walk this tightrope. And if I get it wrong and fall off, then I've messed it all up. It was all down to me. These ideas of there's this kind of thing that God expects of me and I messed it up and then he's disappointed with me. This idea that um, it's really down to me. And then thinking back, oh, maybe I should have done that. Maybe I should have said this to them. Maybe I should have... Uh, done that maybe I should have been braver maybe I should have gone there instead of there all these things um, but following Jesus isn't an exam it's a relationship it's not a past test past fail test I think actually a much better way to think about the journey we are on is not that we're crossing a tightrope but rather think about a field and we're at the gate in the field and the other side of the field uh, that I mean, I have quite a vivid image of this in my mind, but there's a picnic going on and Jesus had the picnic, but Jesus was with me and we're walking through the field and there's a hundred ways you can walk through the field. And if you might walk and step in a cow pat and you might step onto a bit of muddy thing, but you also might go past some wonderful flowers, all these things. We are just working our way. You don't, you know, if you go out for a walk in, the, in a field in real life and you step in a cow pat, you're just like, oh, that, it's not the end of the world. Do you know what I mean? It's just awkward you see some flowers that's wonderful but it's just part of this experience so this idea that there is a right and a wrong I don't think is helpful the idea is that we are just moving and adapting and discovering Jesus as we go along 
there's also the worry that God, if we really let God be in control, he's actually going to make us do something horrible. You know, this is kind of like take your medicine, you know, it's the most disgusting medicine, but it's good for you, you know, and we need to discover in the relation with God that God isn't this, uh, you know, he's going to, well, this will be really good for you, but you're going to hate it. You know, that he is gentle and kind. And uh, I love this. This is from the message translation of the Bible. I think it just talks about what it is to learn discipleship off of Jesus. It says this, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? I was just describing religion. You know, there's a right and a wrong. You've got to get it right every time. Otherwise you're a failure. You need to get it right so that God will like you. If you get it wrong, he's going to be upset with you. That's religion. Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. This is Jesus talking. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is the comfort. This is the call. This is who we are following. And the second comfort I have for us this morning is a way to think about the future that uh, I heard quite recently. And I think it's a really good way, a better way to think about the future. So I think what we naturally often do is we think about the future as a destination. So we have this idea of what I want the future to look like, whether long-term, short-term, whether it, you know, it's all segmented, you know, this part of my life, this is what the future I want to look like. And we see ourselves as traveling along a road towards the future. And so we are heading towards this preferred future and the, the anxiety and the tension we have is because it suddenly feels like we've hit like the road's swearing and it's not going towards the future or there's some kind of roadblock and there's some problem. And then we move into trying to control and manipulate and spending all our energy trying to overcome this obstacle so we can get to our preferred future. And uh, we, might, we might Christianize this. We might, you know, put our own God stamp of approval on that vision of future we have in our mind. Um, and what we're saying then as well, we're back to that original thing I was saying, the prayer we often have is, God, be with me as I walk along the road towards my future. But I think a better way, than, rather than thinking about the future as a destination and time is the road we're going upon it, think about ourselves as static and the future is what comes to meet us. And it comes to meet us one moment at a time. We don't achieve or conquer the future, rather we receive it. So each moment comes to us and we experience it as a gift and we get to discover what Jesus is doing in that moment as it arrives. So let me just give you a practical example that made a real difference to me when I, when I was thinking about this. So this summer, we had a family holiday in France and uh, Sarah flew home because she's too good to take the ferry. That's basically how it all works. Sarah flew home. So me and Oscar and Tilly, uh, 16 and 14, we are in Bordeaux, just dropped to the airport. And then we stop at one of these massive, you know, in Europe, they have like, they don't just have a supermarket and then attached to it is there's like a whole shopping center. So there's this, we're in this and we're getting stuff for our lunch to take on the journey. 
and we've got two days to drive back from Bordeaux to catch our ferry. Um, and so we're going around the supermarket complex buying baguettes and uh, cheese and a jambon. And, you know, we say, just throw that in there. So we're already, and we're going up to pay at the, at the counter and I haven't got my phone. I'm like, I, I, like, I literally never have my phone. If you ever message me and I don't reply within 20 minutes, just call the police. Because I, I constantly have my phone. Um, and I'm like, I don't know where my phone is. And then, and then I realized the last time I had my phone, uh, this is a little bit of embarrassing admission. Last time I had my phone was I was in the toilet. <laughs> the thing, because I have loathingly programmed myself that I can't go to the loo unless I've got my phone. So I was in the toilet cubicle with my phone. So I'm like stressed. And I say to Oscar and Tilly, just stay here. And I run out. And it's one of these supermarkets you can't get out unless you've got a receipt. So I have to find someone to let me out. And then I go into the toilet. Uh, the men's toilet, the cubicle I want is being used, the one that I'd previously been in. So then I just have to hang out in a French supermarket toilet for about five minutes. And then uh, the door opens and uh, quite a young teenage boy comes out, which felt even more awkward because then I'm like, get out of the way. And I look in and my phone isn't in there. Okay. So I'm, so I have a vision of the future and the vision of the future I had prior to this was we are going to get in the car and then my phone sat nav it's going to guide us through this French motorway system for the next two days, uh, including one night stop at a hotel where I have the booking on my phone. Uh, everything I'm going to pay for is done on my phone uh, as we go until uh, we get to the ferry where I have the tickets on my phone. And then we cross over. Meanwhile, obviously updating everyone that's going on. Both my kids had run out of data on their phone, so they'd been hotspotting through mine. So, so my my vision of the future is totally kaput now. And, but I remembered this kind of way, this idea that I thought, and I thought I could just like absolutely like mess my head up trying to work out how can I force that vision of the future come back? Or, I mean, all of it is out of my control now. So I can just accept each moment as it comes. And at this moment, this is my situation. So I've just got to, so it was just, it was just a calming sense to being of like, well, I can't control that future. What's going to happen? I can just control this moment now, you know, and I can do it. And um, so I went and queued at the, um, at the like information desk. And I, you know, there's this, so this battle going on inside me of trying to somehow control the, the future and recover it, which would involve me grabbing the people in the queue before me going, I've lost my phone, get out of the way. Uh, so I can get like there like two minutes quicker so I can, but no, I just look, it's either it's that there's someone's handed it in or someone is currently just spending all my money on, on stuff somewhere. It's one or the other. There's literally nothing I can do about it. I just, and it was a much peace, more peaceful place to be. In the end, someone handed my phone in. So that was good. And I was full of so much thanksgiving uh, about that. Um, but I just think this is, I just have found this really helpful. So I'm just sharing this, this idea of instead of we are fighting to get to there, we are here. What is God going to bring to us a moment at a time? And how do we find that? And I think this is how we then discover that we're not saying, God, be with me as I walk my route to my future. But Jesus, how are you leading me moment by moment as we do that? Which is why 
Tracy's uh, thing Tracy said this morning. It was just like in the morning, God, oh, okay, you're prompting me this. Moment by moment, what happens? You know, that person sits down and they're having a bad day. Tracy could have, you know, got her phone out, ignored her. You know, it was just like, oh, I'm open because this moment has been presented to me. So we need to think about this. If we want to learn this skill, we need to think about how am I saying yes to Jesus? Are there areas in my life where I'm like, no, I'm in control of this. I have my preferred future for this part of my life, for this thing, for that. Or are we saying, Jesus, you just lead me moment by moment in this area of my life. As I go through, I'm just going to look and find you. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about Exeter Vineyard Church, head over to our website, www.exe.vin.